0: class. Um, it's Sunday evening and uh, this is a recording for our asynchronous lecture for week two of EDUC 147, Education in a Diverse Society. Um, my name again, if you forgot, my name is Pat Ordonez. I'm your instructor um, and uh, today we'll just discuss the main concepts that are found in the readings that were assigned for this week. So let me just pull up the syllabus to see what our readings are. So this week we have D'Angelos, what does it mean to be white, developing white racial literacy? We have the optional rating from Tate, Race Retrenchment and the Reform of School Mathematics, talking about the salience of um, race and mathematics education. And finally, we have Dumas, um, Against the Dark, Anti-Blackness in Education Policy and Discourse. And so those, well, specifically D'Angelo and Dumas, um, the purpose of those readings is for you, the reader, the student, to understand the foundations of the society that we society that we live in today, right. Um, we live in a racialized society. Um, the United States was built on this racist ideology that since has made um institutions that are built on the idea of white supremacy. And now when I say white supremacy, I'm not talking, well you can when that word is thrown around, you're thinking KKK, um blatant uh racial slurs, um and uh, very blatant actions and violence against uh, people of color. But when I say racist um in this course we're talking about the the construction of a racist society that is built on um whiteness being the uh I guess default for everyday life for everyday social discourse right and so That idea of white dominance and white supremacy means that white culture takes precedence or is the standard for functioning and navigating social life in the United States. And that also is very much visible in schools when, you know, we have language laws that prioritize um, Anglo-Saxon language, which is English, right? That also extends to the prioritization of other European languages in schooling, which you found in the activity that we did on Thursday when you listed the classes that you took. Why only French? Why only Spanish? Right. Um, so I guess like there are three terms that usually helps me define or differentiate Racism from just prejudice and discrimination, right? So prejudice is um, individuals holding preconceived notions or assumptions about anything, right? You have a prejudice, you have a preconceived notion about a group of people, like, for example, black folks, you have stereotypes about um, Mexican immigrants, Asian immigrants. You have stereotypes about uh, different religious minorities. Religious minorities meaning non-Christian religions, to be very specific. Um, and uh, the next tier to that is di- discrimination. That is when that prejudice. So this is very simplified, right? That that's when that prejudice is enacted upon by that individual. So, discrimination would mean um, not allowing or actually treating people differently based on those prejudices that you have. Right? And often, that discrimination is backed by institutions like Um, not letting Black Americans into your business, uh, especially during Jim Crow segregation, right? And we're not going to go over the history of racism in this class because, again, the purpose of this class is to um, navigate the school and the education system, um, right? So institutional discrimination, institutional oppression actually right and that be that that in and of itself becomes is the next step to a wide range of policies that are discriminatory and it becomes institutional racism right when uh, we talked about um, last week we talked about mendez versus Westminster the Exclusion of Mexican-American children um, in integrated or in white classrooms, in high-quality classrooms. The exclusion of black children in high-quality white schools, right? And those schools are only high-quality because they have the resources, right? We talked about funding last week, um, briefly. And so that, when we say racist, um, that means that, that you are buying into the status quo of how society works. If you know that society is racist, I would like to term um, institutional racism as you know like we can go on with this course saying that 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 is what i'm referring to as racist not individual racists like you you know you see uh on social media like karen's calling out random people of color for exercising um right and the only reason why those videos exist is because we are all educated, socialized, and inculcated into a racist society. The reason why George Floyd, George Floyd's murder, some people still try to find a reason to justify his murder, Um, the reason why it was, it seemed to be okay for that cop to kneel on him for that long just because of the social context that everyone is in, right? Perhaps they were so... And I'm not saying like, oh, it's not their fault. They were socialized in a racist family. Um, but, you know, um, I think... So I'm going to refer you to D'Angelos um, podcast, right? So, after this. So, racism is the, f- the big problem about, like, with racism today is that many people um, still are not willing to grapple or examine the lived experiences and the realities that it that racism poses to people to people of color especially so that's what I mean by racism and how race is constructed the other part right so what do you well pat what do you mean about um, race is socially constructed there's no arguing that um There's no arguing that there are visible phenotypical, like phenotype, right? There are physical differences between people. There are biological differences between um, everyone, right? But those differences, so unfortunately, we're not like in a classroom where I would normally, we would normally like party and... And watch uh, a documentary during class, and it would be like super fun. But I will refer you. So in I guess like in this in this like video um, or recording, I will be constantly referring you to multimedia um, resources for you to watch on your own, since we are asynchronous, and because we are supposed to meet f- for three hours. And this, our class is only, well, our class is a synchronous and I'm not gonna make you listen to a three hour lecture of me just talking. I will be sharing resources um, as we go along. So please write them down as you're listening, right? Please actively listen to this um, recording. So I would normally show um, episode one, the difference between us, race, the power of an illusion, um through canopy.com, k-a-n-o-p-y dot com. All UCR students have access to this. So here, um it's an old documentary. So it unpacks race. Um, and what people think are really like deep racial differences are only just skin deep. Um Because for the longest, right, and and I'm sorry if this is the first time that you're hearing about this, um, I guess, like, this idea, this fact, is, you know, we're actually more similar across, uh, between, uh, across races than within the same race. So someone from the Philippines may be genetically, maybe that's a bad idea because we have been colonized and we are very diverse. Um, Let's say uh, someone from, let's say, I don't know. um, Let's just say someone who is Korean may have more similarities with someone who is black or white from someone who is, identifies or visibly looks black or white Versus people of the same from the same racial background, white and white, have more genetic differences, right? And you'll f- you'll see that the students in this documentary um, discover that when they like play with their, you know, like mouth swabs and test it um, in the in a 90s computer. <laughs> um, so. Our differences really are only skin deep and it's and i guess like if you think about anthropologically it's it's only because of how close we are to the equator right and what the, the environment is other than that um most racist science that was popular uh in the actually up until the 19 early 1900s where you know they they did craniology where they like measured black people's skulls and measure it against white people's skulls and say white people's skulls are bigger therefore there's more brain in there Um that type of racist science craniology becomes moot it's not real it's pseudoscience right so what then happens when you know we've we all agree that there are no biological differences. There are no, yeah, there are no biological differences between the races. And so that just means that the subordination of people of color um, throughout history and even today is based on prejudices that have been agreed upon by people of the dominant race. And sometimes, so this is where it gets tricky, right? And sometimes people who are subordinated might be complicit with this idea of a racial hierarchy, that for some reason, whites are much better and much much more attractive than Let's say um, well, let's say actors or people from a different racial background, right? It was it was socially constructed. And the only way to make that real and binding is to use Institute or is to embed those, um, biases in the in the institutions S- making arbitrary requirements, like language laws. People had to vote on that, right? And dispersing that message across media outlets, newspapers. Books, pamphlets, um, pamphlets, I'm talking about like 1920s when they had pamphlets, right? Uh, videos. Um, so that's what it means when I say race is socially constructed. But if you already knew this, um, maybe this is like a good review, maybe you have something to add. So please feel free to bring, so if you have any notes on this or questions, I would urge you to write down um, your questions or pointers, notes, and bring them up on our live class, right? Or um, during your discussion sections. Focusing more on D'Angelo and her the chapters from her book that we had to read um, I want to go beyond so D- what D'Angelo does for us in the three chapters is to just talk about the importance of racial literacy in I guess like discourse on race, right? She's saying that many people aren't comfortable, aren't equipped to critically think about race in society, and she focuses on white folks and their discomfort with discussing race, right? So, I hope that you enjoy her chapter um, her chapters and uh I mean, like this book, I think she her main audience is mostly talking of talking to white folks and <laughs> convincing them that racism is real, and uh that they have to reevaluate themselves reevaluate their thoughts on race and I think one important idea here that um so before I delve into whiteness and anti-blackness one main idea here is racial narratives right in the responses that she you know collects from her students and the social interactions that she's had with you know many neighbors who are white or friends who are white um, they all, she says that they all have opinions, strong emotional opinions about race, right? And, I mean, like, I could say, so, these are learned, right? And with these opinions, she doesn't find critical thought to back them up. These opinions are inherited, perhaps, um from, so actually she points it out, from the segregated lives that white people live. Perhaps, and I, I would like for us, because this class is predominantly um, brown, I would like for us to challenge, uh, apply those questions to us as well, right? What What kinds of narratives have we inherited so me as a brown person what kinds of narratives have we inherited pertaining to race and um did I think about it deeply did I ever think about it deeply did I think about my social position and uh, the types of privileges that I have because of my identity my racial identity um How about, how am I disadvantaged or oppressed because of my social identity? And for D'Angelo, she says that our experiences as brown people are often, black and brown people are often discounted um, by white folks. Mainly because they don't have that lived experience. Um, And again, they live in segregated neighborhoods, and you can even see that um, with our previous lecture, right, last week, where um, L.A. is still racially segregated by race and class, so immigrants, brown immigrants go to school with other brown immigrants, Asian Americans go to school with other Asian students, I'm talking about the San Gabriel Valley versus <laughs> versus like East LA and South LA and then I'm also talking about West LA, right? And I and then when I taught in Upward Bound, I asked my high school students did you have classmates in your high school, did you look like your classmates? And they said, yeah. And I said, what is that proof of? And I mean, like, it's a lot bigger than what we can see, right? But it's the legacy of segregation, racial segregation, communities that are segregated. And so it is hard for many white folks and many people of color to really understand large-scale racism. What we can see, though, is day-to-day discrimination and racist actions. Like, for example... Um, like microaggressions maybe your teacher m- might have said to you or a student who's lang- who speaks another language right or who is a recent immigrant that your English is really really good and that you are eloquent for the type of person that you are which I've cer- certainly received before right um, and those are allusions to you know like the language of white people to be the standard. So, I appreciate her writing. Um, just to let you know, I think there was, like, a clapback at D'Angelo. So, I mean, there's always clapbacks at scholarly work, and they always, nowadays, like, scholars call each other out on Twitter. I honestly have, like, seen, like, one of these scholarly beefs on Twitter, but I think there's some criticism uh, toward D'Angelo, but because I haven't found a different text to um, discuss whiteness and white fragility, um, I think she's good for now. Right. So another resource that I found for us, and um, I'm not, so just to reassure you, I'm not assigning it as extra reading, but... I'm taking my definitions of whiteness from here and I'm inviting you to read it, um, you know, for fun. So I'm going to read it. It's from the, let me see here. It's from the Talking About Race series um, of the National Museum of African American History and Culture, the Smithsonian writes an article which I will link to you Um, so whiteness this is the quote whiteness and white racialized identity refer to the way the white people their customs culture and beliefs operate as the standard by which all other groups of are compared Whiteness is also at the core of understanding race in America. Whiteness and the normalization of white racial identity throughout America's history have created a culture where non-white persons are seen as inferior or abnormal. Persons who identify, so part of, um, white uh, privilege so and this is the start of another quote persons who identify as white rarely have to think about their racial identity because they live within a culture where whiteness has been normalized end quote and um so I want us to pause here and think... So white white identity and whiteness are often conflated, right? But I, I mean, it's easy to do so. A person who is white or appears white, so now we're talking about um, white passing individuals. A person who is white or appears white or is closer... To whiteness thinking in a black, white binary, so um, black, white binary is how the United States operates currently. Um, I'm not saying that that's good, but unfortunately that is the that is part of the racist society that we live in. Um, so how does one being white? Appearing to be white or being close to white appearance, how are they granted certain privileges? How might white people experience oppression through other social identities? And if you even think, uh, so this binary, if you think about it as like a binary of like power, if you think about class. upper class, working class, gender, masculine, feminine, sexual orientation, straight, gay. And that's a binary, right? And I know those exist within spectrums, but currently, again, we are operating in the United States as a binary, which I would like for you to remember is already problematic for many people, because all of our laws are are based on this these binaries right so if you think about those identities and whiteness as well how does privilege and power work then that is not the free right but that's just like a thinking exercise In this um, resource, also, um, another, so we're we're talking about the conflation of white identity and whiteness, right? I think, you know, like, a lot of people grapple with that, and this resource nicely puts it, right? Um, A lot of people who are white say, like, Hey, I was white. or I I am white. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I still suffered. Um, And this is where intersectionality would come in, right? The nuance that class brings to one's experience. Socioeconomic status, right? A rich white man would have a different experience as and I'm going on to the opposite binary, Uh, working class young woman. So, young white woman, different experiences. So here there's a quote, being white does not mean you haven't experienced hardships or oppression. Being white does does mean you have not, faced hardships or oppression based on the color of your skin, end quote. And then another, like, like, I think when talking about race, um, because I've been talking to people, to students about this since 2011, right? I've had undergrad students in Asian American studies challenge me and say, like, well, Pat, um... I went to a predominantly black school and they called me whitey every day. Think about how, I guess like what I struggled to tell that student at the time because I was a young educator, was I I neglected to ask that student, well, outside of the school, how is your experience different? Does do you get called whitey or does your racial identity follow you um when you're out of that context? How about for your friends? Right? Are they still black when they got get out of the school? And how does that um how does that affect how they live their lives? Right? So again, intersectional, intersectionality, and also um, a good, cl- a good uh, I guess, like, framework for, for race and identity and social oppression, really, uh, social identity, is the idea of um, social space. If you think about your, if you think about your multiple identities as in uh, multiple lines, right? We're thinking mathematically now on a plane. Multiple lines that intersect uh, in space that creates a dot, right? Math, art, right? That creates a dot and that dot is you. If you move the plane, the coordinates of that dot changes And so your social identity, even though it's a fixed intersection of lines, it will mean different things in different contexts. Um, And so moving along this resource, um, there's like this cool graphic here that talks about um, white culture in the United States. And it names, so white dominant culture, whiteness, refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized. And part, so you, you gotta really think about this, like um, white culture has been normalized as American. And so throughout history, um, people who get, who people who are visibly seen speaking Spanish are called an american People are visibly, Wearing religious garb, whether it be Jewish or Muslim, are called un-American because they're not Christian, right? So, what is white culture then? And how does, how does whiteness dominate our schools? Um, rugged individualism, doing everything on your own. The individual is the primary unit, and that that idea of individualism might be con, you know, uh, contrary to how I'm just gonna use my family, how my family operates. We're very collective. Um, We rely on each other, and uh, the success of everyone in the family is is means success for all of us individually. Versus individualism, your success is yours only, and your family had nothing to do with it, or um, the privileges that you have based on your identity have nothing to do with it. It was all your own merit. Family structure for uh, white Americans, the nuclear family, but that might be, so it means mom, dad, maybe like two to three children. The husband is the breadwinner, the wife is the homemaker, and the children should have their own rooms. That is white culture. And if you think about how um, it's different for maybe your family, for my family, my parents are both uh, breadwinners. They're equal. And it's funny because even though Um, the Philippines have been taken over by Spain and they imposed patriarchal Catholicism on the islands, Um, the power of women and their wisdom is still pretty much... um, It it got past that patriarchal lens, right? So... Ideas of um, sharing, sharing rooms are more common in my family in Filipino families and maybe to your family as well right maybe having extended family live in your home is considered normal um, maybe uh, grandparents being around is normal especially if I mean like for most Asian families I think the idea of and and I'm like generalizing now but so I'm gonna be specific for for my family um, my grandpa made a big house um, when he was young and he expected it was gonna be the family house he expected all of his children and their families to move in there and we were all gonna live together and grow old there right that was the ideal here it doesn't apply because After 18, you graduate, and uh, you're out of your parents' hair, and um, yeah, so if you look at that, and you see how normalized white culture is versus um, other cultures, you'll know that whiteness then dominates um, social life in the United States. There are also very cool videos in this resource, and I think it's, I wish I had found this before I assigned you the D'Angelo text, honestly, Um, but I think this was made for um, non-academic spaces and you can share this with your friends and your families, it's from a museum, super legit. Finally, um, another, I guess, like point that I'd like to make about um, how socially constructed race is. Um, I like to bring up um, policy and court cases um, as concrete examples. Um, so, if we look at, so I guess this also is your free right now. So please take um, five minutes to um, go to the free write link on ILEARN under assignments. And I'd like to ask you this question. How do you know what your race is? Who told you? When did you find out? Was it in 2003? Was it when you were born? Was it when you went to school? Who told you? Was it your mom? Was it your friend? Um, did it just happen? Did you just realize that you were um, black or Latino or some people like to call themselves Hispanic? How did you learn that term, right? How did you know you were Asian? What happened? um, think about that, and so, um, and after you think about it, so, meaning after you've you've written about this idea, um, now write about how has this realization of your race shaped your life before and after? How has your race shaped your life before and after this realization? That is the free right. How and when did you learn about which racial group you belonged in? Who told you? What happened? Think about that specific moment and how has this shaped your life? Again, free right? A free right is a free flow of thoughts that will position you to think about the concepts in the lecture. Um, I hope you uh, turned in, you paused the video or the recording, and you took five minutes to submit a free write about your thoughts. Um, now, I'd like us to um, look at the examples. So, I have here from the Peer Research website. Instructions to the nineteen thirty census takers um about uh counting people to race the only so let's see here what are the categories here and uh, follow me um because i uh follow f- um look follow with me like while well, looking at the resource right color or race. W for white, neg for negro, mex for Mexican, they have Indian, they have Chinese, they have Japanese, they have Filipino, they have Hindu, which is a religion, we all know that, and Koreans. And for any person or race, write the race in full. Here are some definitions. Negroes, a person of mixed white and negro blood. That's pretty clear. Someone who is white and Negro, or black, are c- identified as Negroes, no matter how small the percentage. And that's that's referring to like the one-drop rule, which you probably learned from your ethics studies, so- sociology, and anthropology classes. Both black and mulatto persons are to be returned as Negroes without distinction. People who are Indian, so Native American, and black should be identified as Black or Negro. Um, unless, so that they're like trying to be like scientific about it, but there's no way to be scientific about something that is socially constructed. Um, they're saying like, unless Indian blood predominates and the status as an Indian is generally accepted in the community. Gen Indian status, Native American status, or acceptance into a nation or tribe. So, Indians are persons of mixed white and Indian blood, and they have to identify, for Native Americans, they have to identify as full blood or mixed blood, probably for um, stealing purposes. And then jump to 2020, Um, for whites, if you haven't filled out your census yet, If you are white, now you have to put what type of white you are. German, Irish, English, Italian, Lebanese, Egyptian. Those are white um, people considered white. Um, Black and African-American, you have to identify what type of black you are. Native American, you have to identify um, if you are Mayan, Aztec, um, Navajo, Blackfeet. And then uh, for Asian, because we all know that the Asian category is super vast, they have multiple boxes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, Pat, um, maybe, maybe, you know, they like know better now and they just want to be super specific um, or, you know, like they're not messed up anymore. Pat, don't be mean. In 1790, so here's another contrast, the only distinction or the only thing that they wanted to know <laughs> was if you were a free white male or a free white female and all other free persons and then if you are a slave and slave denoted was pretty obvious. Who was property in 1790, right? And they were not considered American because as property, you could not have citizenship. So, like, another funny thing that, um, so, Pat, I I don't know, like, I I thrive when I, like, ask myself questions, like, things that I would get asked. Um, well, what what about Rachel Dolezal and people who feel, quote, transracial, like, they feel so, what's funny is that I was like typing up like, Rachel Dolezal um, would like to identify as black, but now we've all said that you're appropriating the experiences of an oppressed group for your own personal gain. Um, but there's more and more that pop up, like this transracial man who was born white, but now he says he feels Filipino, and he wears like but like print that is native to our culture. Um, he drives around a fake tricycle. Um, so look up Filipino tricycle in Florida. Um, so that's like, why can't they identify as that if they it is socially constructed? I would like for you to think about that as well, right? I have my own thoughts, but mine rests on cultural appropriation right to identify as one without the experiences of the group and being constantly surveilled or identified as such um, I think limits you but then Pat what, what what of people who are white passing right And that that makes their experience as white-passing, let's say white-passing Filipinos or um, white-passing mixed-race people um, unique, right? It is, their experiences are complicated by the black-white binary um, and how it invisibilizes their experiences, right? White-passing indigenous people so, that's my spiel on that. And so, so Pat, we spent this whole time talking about um, whiteness. What about anti-blackness, right? So for Dumas, um, actually, uh, I have like a one more cool quote about um, the racial black-white binary. So, another resource if you're interested, I did not assign it, um a really cool book. It's a actually it's one of the foundational books of my education. Um Critical Race Theory: An Introduction by Richard Delgado and um Jean Stefancic. Um So, critical race theory is a theoretical framework that came from critical legal studies that said that um, the law is not applied or does not have the same effects on people from different backgrounds, um, and that uh, institutional racism drives the laws of the country. So that's like my spiel on that, right? So for them, they actually neatly and nicely put and explained the black-white binary and how it operates in U.S. society. In the United States, they say, race means quintessentially African American. Other groups such as Asians, Native Americans, Latinos, Latinas, are minorities only in so far as their experiences, or as their experiences and treatment can be analog- uh, analogized to those of blacks. That's on page seventy-five of their book. The binary erases the differential racialization of other peoples of color and simplifies racism. Right, So this binary is actually super bad, it erases um, experiences, quote, binary thinking can induce minority groups to identify with whites in exaggerated fashion at other groups or their own group's expense, page 80 have you experienced this Um, I myself can say that my own father has succumbed to this type of thinking that we are not he likes to say we're not the same as black people we're Filipinos Um, we came here to this country and we uh, we tried really hard to uh, fit into American identity but Every time I try to tell him that American identity is mostly white identity, he doesn't understand it, but, you know, um, I went to school for this, and I'm still trying to find ways to talk about it with my own family, um, and for you as educators, it becomes also a challenge, right, trying to talk about race with students and trying to find ways to Um, effectively talk about it without um, falling into um, false narratives um, omitting stuff which you'll learn in other courses such as Dr. John Will's class about he he likes to talk about the omission and the um, the omission and the uh, distortion of American history so going to the Dumas article anti-blackness says in in the our racial racialized society anti-blackness says that the black cannot be human and is not simply an other type of human but is other than human that explains slavery that is on page 13 of the article that i signed thus anti-blackness does not signify a mere racial conflict that might be resolved through organized political struggle and appeals to the state and to the citizenry ciz- citizenry for redress anti-blackness marks an ir- irreconcilability between the black and any sense of social or cultural regard. Afro-pessimist scholars, so this is like, this is their framework for anti-blackness. They say that black, being black, is socially and culturally positioned as slave dispossessed of human agency, desire, and freedom. This doesn't mean that black people are currently enslaved, but that slavery marks the ontological position of black people. So if we think about everything that has happened recently, and if we approach George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and all the black bodies and all the black people that have been murdered it becomes apparent and it becomes it makes it starts to make sense why these things continue to happen we can't just put band-aids on things and say let's reform laws let's like fix the police when we ourselves have to look into what we've, what policies there are from the beginning of time. Why our neighborhoods the way are, why our neighborhoods are the way that they are, etc., etc. Right, and to recognize that at the very center, the thing that holds together the United States that built it up was racism. So. And I say this very passionately, and that is what anti-blackness is. And we can pick, like, battles about natural hairstyles being now legalized in um, in California, like the uh, discrimination against natural hairstyles of um, African-Americans, whether it be braids um, or locks, right? were grounds for employers to fire black folks. But now in California, they had to say that that's illegal. Right? Because it hinges on anti-blackness. That, again, black people are not human. That is what anti-blackness means. I mean... And that is why it is so hard for the Black Lives Matter movement to get into the psyches of many, many people who subscribe to racist ideology. So So we'll talk more about this um next class but um i'd like for you to um like i guess like my parting question would be think about again your own biases um and why it's important for you as a future educator or a counselor or a public um Public uh, I guess like future like nonprofit worker or public sector uh, civil service job or as a scientist, even as a scientist, as a mathematician, whatever you're gonna be as a lawyer um, think about why it's necessary to really get at the bottom of race as a social construction and and think about now with this framework How would your practices and the way that you navigate the world, or the United States, or California, or your family, how would that change and how would that not change? Um, Part of uh, the education field is really reflecting on um, everything, reflecting on what you did today, reflecting on the readings, and seeing how you can practice that effectively. So, I'll leave it at that. Um, If you have any questions, feel free to uh, contact me or your TAs. Um, If you'd like, you have more resources as well, please feel free to post in the community um, forum under discussions. Thanks, everyone.